turn our attention now to Psalm 6. Uh, we're in a series right now walking through uh, book 1 of the Psalms, which is uh, Psalms 1 through 41. Uh, we started with the first five Psalms, and then we kind of jumped around a little bit, and we uh, went to Psalm 22, went to Psalm 16, but we're back uh, to the, the order that uh, they, they appear in our Bibles now. Uh, we're going to pick up where we left off and go to Psalm 6. And um, we'll begin by reading together uh, Psalm 6. And uh, if you're able, would you please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's uh, inspired, inerrant, sufficient, authoritative word. To the choir master, with stringed instruments, according to the Sheminith, a psalm of David. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord. For I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me. All you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Well, you may or may not know that just a few days ago, in fact, Good Friday, was the 110th anniversary of the sinking of the Titanic. April 15th, 1912, over 1,500 people died in the icy waters of the North Atlantic Ocean. And there's a rather infamous story uh, about that night. There was a ship, the SS California, and it was actually the, the ship that was nearest to the Titanic. But it turned off its radio Ten minutes before the Titanic sent out their first distress call. If they had been able to hear it, only God knows how many more lives could have been saved that night. But they didn't hear it because the radio had been turned off. 
Do you ever feel that way when you pray? You're sending out the distress signal, crying out, and you just wonder, is it even getting through? Am I even being heard? In Psalm 6, we hear David crying out to God. Sending out the distress signal. Calling for help. Calling for salvation. Calling for deliverance. David, as he describes in Psalm 6, is in agony. He is in a deep and dark depression. He is weary from his situation. He's weary from the pain and anguish that he is experiencing in himself. But God hears him. God hears him. And in this, there is really good news for those of us who wonder if God hears us. If I could sum up what Psalm 6 shows us, I would sum it up this way. When the Christ cries, God hears. When the Christ cries, God hears. And we're going to see why that is such good news for us as we walk through Psalm 6. And this psalm really comes to us in two portions. Uh, Verses 1 through 7, we see the Christ cries. And then in verses 8 through 10, we see that God hears. But first, let's turn our attention to verses 1 through 7 and see the Christ cries. So this was a song written and sung first by David, God's anointed king. Another word for anointed in the Bible is Messiah or Christ. And so as we hear this song of David, we are hearing the cries of the Christ. David begins in verse 1. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. As we've seen here, David is aching in agony. And what does he do? He turns to God. Don't miss, it's easy because this is uh, in scripture, because it is a a psalm, a song, a prayer. uh, It's easy to just take for granted the fact that this was ever even written. To take for granted and bypass the fact that David didn't have to turn to God, but he chose to turn to God. The very first thing we see is that in David's agony, he turns to God. He says, oh Lord, why? Why is that where he turns? Why is that where he looks for relief? Why is that what his go-to step of action is when he is in this anguish? Because David knows that all things are directed by the creator. All things are directed by the sovereign God. So whatever he's experiencing, it is under God's authority. And so in his despair, 
He cries out to the Lord, to Yahweh, the one who is sovereign over his anguish. It seems to David, as he brings his situation to his God, that he is experiencing God's discipline. Now, it's not clear if this discipline is the result of David's sin. Uh, We're not told the circumstance that prompted David to write this psalm, and David doesn't confess any sin in this psalm. Uh, But God's discipline is not always in response to a particular sin. God does sometimes give corrective discipline in response to sin, like a parent using painful consequences to correct a disobedient child. But God also gives formative discipline for the purpose of training and teaching. Like a workout can be painful and exhausting, but it forms you both in terms of physical strength and self-control. In any case, God's discipline is ultimately a good thing. Uh, David's son Solomon would write to his own son in Proverbs 3, 11, and 12, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. And so in light of that, it's important that we notice what David is not praying here. He is not saying, don't rebuke me. He's not saying, don't discipline me. He says, do not, in your anger, rebuke me. Do not, in your wrath, discipline me. David is not asking to be spared from discipline. He's asking to be spared from wrath. David's request is not unlike what Jeremiah writes in Jeremiah 10, 24. Correct me, O Lord, but in justice. Not in your anger, lest you bring me to nothing. So it seems that David's suffering, which he interprets to be God's discipline, has gotten so severe, though, that he's starting to question, have I moved out of discipline territory? Am I now experiencing God's wrath, God's anger? So he says, do not in your anger rebuke me do not in your wrath discipline me and he goes on in verses two to three to ask for relief look at those verses be gracious to me O lord for i am languishing heal me O lord for my bones are troubled my soul is also greatly troubled but you O lord how long david is languishing he's he's faint He feels like a withered plant. His whole person is in anguish. He he uses the words here, heal me, and, and it may even be that he was suffering from some sort of a physical disease or illness. Uh, but whatever the case may be, what we see is that his physical body and his soul are agonizing. It's his whole person, his whole being, body and soul. He is in agony. He is is aching. 
in these first few verses, David is using some of the same terms about his suffering that he used in Psalm 2 to describe how God treats his enemies. Uh, In verse 1 of Psalm 6, David asks God not to rebuke him in his anger. And in verses 2 and 3, David describes being troubled. Well, back in Psalm 2, verse 5, as David is describing God's response to the enemies of God's king, he says that he will speak to them in his wrath or anger and will terrify or trouble them in his fury. So it's as if in Psalm 6, David is saying, God, how long are you going to treat your anointed king as if I'm your enemy? David asks God to be gracious to him. He asks for favor instead of wrath. He asks God to relieve his misery. And then in verse 4, he asks God to turn. He says, turn, O Lord. Deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. So God asks, or David asks God to turn. David asks God to change his course of action. He feels as though he is on a path that's leading to his own death. If God doesn't intervene and change this course that he is on. So he asks God to deliver him from this impending death. He appeals to God's steadfast love, his covenant love. God had made a covenant with David. He had made promises to David. He had promised that David would have a special place in his heart. God had promised David that he would be his anointed king. But David sees a disconnect between his circumstances and God's covenant. So he asked God to act in line with the covenant he made. Essentially, he's saying, act in a way that shows the watching world that you keep your promises, that you meant what you said. Show me your favor like you said you would. Preserve my life like you said you would. And he gives a further reason for why he's asking God to spare his life in verse 5. He says, for in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? Sheol is a biblical term for the place of the dead where uh, a person's soul goes when they die. And so David is asking God to preserve his life so he can stay alive and worship him. Uh, Now, it's important we realize what he's not saying. He's not saying that souls can't praise God after they die. Uh, He's speaking from the perspective of the worship of the living. Once someone has died, they're not in the congregation anymore. If David's dead, he he can't lead his people in worship. Uh, He can't tell everyone how great God is. He can't tell everyone what God has done for him, how God has been faithful to him. So again, David is asking God to deliver his life so that he can stay alive and worship him. David goes on in verse 6 to describe his weeping. He says, I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. David has been groaning in agony so much that it's left him exhausted. He's been crying so much that he envisions his bed just swimming in his own tears. 
he imagines his mattress so saturated from his crying that it's starting to dissolve. He says in verse 7, my eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. David is so disturbed and has grieved so much, it feels like his eyes don't even work anymore. In this verse specifically, in verse 7, he describes that his grief has to do with his enemies. And the text doesn't tell us exactly who these foes were and, uh, or, or what they were doing. It may have been that David was referring to people trying to kill him since he asked God to deliver his life. But from the context of the whole psalm, it seems more likely that these enemies were attacking him spiritually rather than physically. David describes his predicament in Psalm 6 primarily in terms of his relationship with God. He's asking God to relieve his pain. He's asking God to save his life so that God might demonstrate his steadfast love and his faithfulness to keep his promise. So it seems most likely that David's enemies were trying to bring shame on him because of his suffering under the sovereign hand of God. Perhaps they were claiming that God was disciplining David in anger and wrath. Perhaps they were claiming that God hadn't really set his steadfast love on David. Perhaps they were mocking David in a way similar to what we saw in Psalm 22, verse 8. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. What we see in these verses is that David is in agony. He's exhausted. He's hurting. He's depressed. He's being attacked. And so he cries out to God for grace, for deliverance, for relief. Does David's experience resonate with you? Have you ever experienced such suffering that you wonder if God might be angry with you? Has your suffering or the suffering of someone that you love caused you to question God's love? Well, no one has ever known the agony of body and soul that David describes in Psalm 6 like Jesus, the ultimate Christ. In fact, Jesus even used the words of Psalm 6 to describe his own anguish. In John 12, verse 27, just days before his crucifixion, Jesus said, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Just as David said in Psalm 6-3, my soul is troubled, so Jesus said, my soul is troubled. As the hour of his crucifixion drew closer and closer, Jesus experienced more and more anguish in his heart. And not just in his inner man, but in his outer man as well. Luke 
22:44 describes how Jesus was in such agony that his sweat even became like drops of blood. In fact, Jesus experienced suffering not just like David experienced, but far worse than David experienced. Jesus was God's ultimate anointed king, yet God gave his anointed king, Jesus, what his enemies deserved. Just as David was saying, God, don't treat your anointed king like your enemies. Well, that's exactly what happened to Jesus. God gave his anointed king, Jesus, what his enemies deserved. Because Jesus was not spared the wrath of God. He went to the cross to receive the wrath of God. But he received God's wrath so that all who trust in him would be spared from God's wrath. The father did not keep Jesus from dying. He went down to the grave. But he went to the grave so that God could raise him. And because Jesus rose, all who trust in him can be delivered from death. When Jesus died, God was not forsaking his steadfast love for his king. When Jesus died, the king was securing God's steadfast love for all who trust in him. And so we need to understand this. If we are in Christ, if we have given our lives to Jesus, if he is the Lord of our lives, if we belong to him, God will never discipline us in his wrath. If you are in Christ, when you are suffering, you can be confident that God is not punishing you. Now, when we were in Psalm 22 a few weeks ago, I made this point briefly, uh, and we talked about it at Home Fellowship a bit, but it, it's, it's worth revisiting here as David leads us to thinking about discipline and wrath. It's crucial that we understand the difference between God's punishment and God's discipline. Uh, theologian A.W. Pink uh, is helpful in pointing out uh, some differences between God's punishment and discipline. Uh, he points out three differences, and I'll kind of summarize those, and I'll add a fourth. Here's, here's the differences between God's punishment and God's discipline. The first difference is the role God acts in. When God punishes, he is acting in the role of judge. When God disciplines, he is acting in the role of father. The second difference is the recipient. God's punishment is for his enemies. God's discipline is for his children. The third difference is the reason for each. When God punishes, the goal is to condemn, to pay back the sinner for his crime. When God disciplines, the goal is to correct, to pull back the sinner to the right path. The fourth difference is the result of each. When God punishes, his enemies are separated from him. But when God disciplines, his children are drawn back to him. 
God's punishment and God's discipline couldn't be further from one another in terms of the role God acts in, the recipient of each, the reason for each, and the result of each. And in light of this, we need to understand that if you trust in Christ, when you are suffering, you need to know that your Father is trying to draw you to Himself. The author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, 10 and 11, Our earthly fathers disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but our heavenly Father disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. If you are in Christ, your Father wants to draw you close so you can share His holiness, the author of Hebrews says. If you're in Christ, your Father wants to form you, to help you bear the fruit of righteousness. But as we learn elsewhere in Scripture, if we're going to bear fruit, sometimes that means we have to be pruned. And that is painful, not pleasant. But if we are God's children, we can be sure that our Father disciplines us for our good. When we cry, we can rest secure in God's steadfast love. Because the Christ cried first. Well, in this first part of Psalm 6, we see the Christ cries. But as the psalm ends, God hears. God hears. In verse 8, the psalm makes a dramatic turn. David says in verses 8 and 9, Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. Uh, So in verse 8, David addresses his enemies. Before God was speaking to God about his enemies, now David is speaking to his enemies about his God. Before, David was speaking from a position of weakness and desperation. But now, David is speaking from a position of strength and confidence. And he tells his foes, depart from me. We need to understand, though, that when he says depart from me, this means more than just, uh, you know, get away from me. Go away. No, who is saying this? The king. David is the king of this nation, and so when he says, depart from me, he is banishing these evildoers from his kingdom. Part of the king's role that God gave him was to be a judge, and David describes in Psalm 101, uh, verses 6 through 8, part of what this would look like. I will look with favor on the faithful in the land that they may dwell with me, He who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. No one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. Morning by morning I will destroy all the wicked in the land, cutting off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. So here in Psalm 6, as David says, depart from me, what we see is he is purging these workers of evil out of the kingdom. Why is he able to do this? Why can he speak with such confidence toward his enemies? 
because Yahweh has heard him. He says this three different ways in these verses. The Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. His weeping was long and agonizing and fierce. But God heard the sound of his weeping. God did accept the prayer of his anointed. God did not forsake his steadfast love. God has delivered David out of his spiritual darkness. And so the enemies may have mocked David by saying God wouldn't hear him, but because God did hear David, God has proven that he has set his steadfast love on his anointed king. He's vindicated his king. He's exposed his enemies as workers of evil. And because God has shown that David's enemies were in the wrong, David is now in a position to banish these evildoers. David goes on to say in verse 10, All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. Notice how David's situation has been reversed. Before, David's bones were troubled. His soul was greatly troubled. Now it is David's enemies who are greatly troubled. Before, David was asking God to turn and deliver his life. And because he did, now David's enemies are turning back in defeat. Before, David's enemies tried to bring shame on David because of his suffering. Now, God will bring shame upon the enemies of his anointed. When the Christ cries, God hears. Because God hears the Christ there's some implications. Because God hears the Christ, uh, we need to know a couple of things. As we look at verses 8 through 10, the first thing we need to understand is because God hears the Christ, the enemies of the Christ should tremble. Because God hears the Christ, the enemies of the Christ should tremble. If God is on the side of his anointed king, then we need to make sure that we're on the side of his anointed king. But it's not always so clear who an enemy of the Christ really is. Sometimes enemies of Christ look like followers of Christ. Sometimes enemies of Christ can even deceive themselves into thinking they belong to Christ. And one of the clearest references to psalm 6 in the new testament is matthew 7 verses 21 to 23 where jesus said not everyone who says to me lord lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven on that day many will say to me lord lord did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Listen to this. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Jesus takes the words of Psalm 6, 8, and he applies them to people who say, Lord, Lord. 
So who are the enemies of the Christ? Well, in Psalm 6, the enemies of the Christ were those who didn't believe that God would hear the Christ. They were the ones who claimed that God didn't really love David. They were the ones who were put to shame when God finally heard David. If you believe that suffering means God isn't loving, let me just warn you of danger that you are in. This is, this is a touchy subject because I know that questioning if God is loving because of suffering, it, it comes from a place of deep pain and anguish and agony. It, it comes from uh, usually a, a painful experience. And so um, I want to be sensitive and I, I, I don't want to ever condemn anyone for asking questions. It's good to ask questions. Uh, it's okay to wrestle with who God is, but you just need to know some danger. If you think, well, a loving God wouldn't have let this happen, or a loving God wouldn't have let that happen, and you let that thought fester, you're in danger. You're, you're on a path toward hardening your heart toward God. And if you harden your heart toward God, you are cutting yourself off from the only one who offers any hope. You're cutting yourself off from the one who can deliver your soul from death. If you do struggle with wondering how could a loving God allow suffering, I would encourage you. Look to the cross. Look to the cross of Jesus. The greatest human suffering God ever allowed was also the greatest act of love God ever demonstrated. And because Jesus died, because Jesus suffered for sinners, you can have confidence that God is working all things together for good. Even when, for a time, the anointed king is hanging in agony and pain on a cross, God has not stopped being loving. God has not stopped being good. Even if, for a moment, the king is crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God has not forsaken you. Don't let your pain cause you to move away from God. Don't let your pain cause you to move away from God. Let your pain draw you to God. And understand this. Because God hears the Christ, he hears all who are in Christ. Because God hears the Christ when he cries, God hears all who are in Christ who cry to him. Instead of letting 
pain drive us away from God. Let us, let our pain drive us to God and find refuge in the Christ. Because if we find a refuge in Christ, we find refuge in the one that God listens to. The one who is heard by God. The same God who heard David's plea in Psalm 6 is the one who heard Jesus' cries. Uh, Take your Bible and turn with me to Hebrews 5. Hebrews 5, verses 7 through 10. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus cried to God and he was heard. He was heard. We saw in Psalm 22, though, that when God delivered Jesus, when he provided the deliverance that Jesus cried for, he was not saved from dying. He was saved from death after death. He was saved from death through his resurrection. And what we can look to the resurrection and see is that God answered Jesus's cry. He delivered his life through death, from death, in the resurrection. Jesus was heard when he cried to God. And because he was, it is really good news what he says here in verse 10, that Jesus is our high priest. Because if Jesus, who is heard by God, is our high priest, that means we can be heard by God too. Uh, flip over just a couple of pages to Hebrews 10 and verses 21 and 22. Since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. If we trust in Jesus' death in our place to change our hearts, to clean our hearts of sin, to rescue us from the evil inside us, to wash us. If we trust in Christ, Jesus is our high priest who gives us the same access to God that he has, who gives us the same ear of God that he has. And so we can draw near just as Jesus is able to draw near. We can be heard when we cry to God. We can be heard when we are in agony. We can be heard when we plead to God. 
And we need to understand, though, like Jesus, that doesn't mean that we won't suffer. Jesus was heard, and he suffered. Jesus suffered all the way to the point of death. And we will suffer too. But if we are in Christ, we are heard. God knows your pain. He knows your agony. He knows your suffering. And he has grace for you even in your pain and your agony. Even in your suffering, he has hope if you're in Christ. And even if we suffer for a little while now, one day, God will deliver us from death. One day, God will right every wrong. One day, every enemy will be put to shame. One day, God will give us the relief from suffering that we long for. Turn with me one more place. Revelation 6. you to see how God hears the cries of those in Christ. Revelation 6 and verse 9, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Sometimes we are heard and told to wait. But even as we are waiting for what we are asking God from, we can rest in God's sovereignty and we can rest in his justice, knowing what he will do in the end. We see these who were given a white robe come up a few verses later in Revelation 7 verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these 
clothed in white robes, and where have they come from? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst no more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. In Christ, we will praise God after death. In Christ, the God who hears our cry will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Because when the Christ cries, God heals. And that's really good news for everyone who is in Christ. If we are in Christ, and if God hears when the Christ cries, we can have confidence that we will never receive God's wrath. Only a father's love to draw us back. If we are in Christ and God hears when the Christ cries, we are heard and we will be delivered from death through our resurrected Christ. Let's pray. Father, you are a good God. You are a God of steadfast love. You are a God who is faithful to his promise. You are the God who hears when your king calls and Lord I thank you that you have made a way for all who trust in Christ to be heard as he was heard but Lord I'm I'm burdened by the fact that Lord we all are born enemies of the Christ born enemies of you Lord we have rebelled against you and we deserve your wrath but Lord I thank you that the Christ absorbed the wrath that we deserve so that if we trust in him we can have eternal life and be delivered from death Lord I pray even as we look at this hope that is found in Christ. Lord, I pray that 
if anyone has heard this word and is not in Christ, Lord, that they would not be comforted until they trust in Christ. Lord, that you would draw souls to yourself. And Lord, for those who are in Christ, Lord, I pray that you would show us both what we deserve apart from Christ and how generous you've been, but Lord, how confident we can be, not because of ourselves, not because of any good in in, in us, but because we have found refuge in Christ, the one you hear. Lord, I pray that Christ's suffering would transform our suffering and that Christ's deliverance would give us hope for deliverance. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.